Hey everyone, Reese here, and welcome back to another episode of WSL Pure One Ocean. Hopefully, this podcast is coming to you in good health wherever you are. Hopefully, you're staying safe out there. Um, it is July. It is July 2nd. And for many of us in the environmental space, that means plastic free July. And you've probably seen the hashtag. You've maybe even taken the pledge. I mean, the movement has been around for a while and it's touched hundreds of millions of people around the world. And this simple little concept of setting a time frame and kind of choosing your path to go plastic free has been surprisingly effective at getting people to at least improve their relationship with plastic, if not change their behavior altogether. So we're dedicating this whole month to Plastic Free July. Um, We're going to be talking to someone new each week working in and around plastic pollution, and we're going to be hearing from you. That's right. We want to hear what you have to say. So stick around at the end of the episode. We have a voice memo from one of our friends in the WCL Pure Network, but we want to hear what you're doing to go plastic free. So shoot us a voice memo at oneocean at wclpure.org, and we'll get you set up. And uh, back to this week's episode. To kick us off, we thought there was no one better to chat with than the founder of the movement herself, Rebecca Prince Ruiz. Rebecca was a delight to speak with. Uh, She has so much intricate knowledge in how to motivate people to change their behavior for the better. Um, She founded Plastic Free July in 2011, and it's evolved into a global movement. It's touched 250 million people across 177 countries. And they've all reduced and refused their single-use plastic in their daily lives. She's got 25 years of experience. She's a wealth of knowledge, and it shows. I learned a ton in this conversation, and I hope that you do too. Here's Rebecca of Plastic Free July. Rebecca, thanks for for joining the show, and thanks for being here. And um, yeah, it's a pleasure to to connect. Uh, Thanks for the opportunity. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, and um, you know... I feel like lots of people are very familiar with Plastic Free July as a movement and maybe have seen it hashtagged on things and maybe uh, have gone to the, the organization behind it. Um, but we wanted to get all the way back to, to the founder, to you. And so before we dive in, I would love just quickly, maybe you can tell everyone a little bit about yourself. How do you identify and um, you know, who are you and what's your, what's your backstory? So I think I identify as someone who has been, who, who cares for the impact that I have and the difference that I make in this world. Um, I think like many that kind of came from a really young age. I spent a lot of my formative years growing up on a farm in the southwest of Western Australia and we needed to uh, leave the farm when I was nine and I don't think I ever forgave my parents for for that um and it was because there'd been too much clearing in the area and salinity levels in the local rivers were rising and i think that for me planted a seed that i've taken with me throughout my life um never quite got used to growing up in the city but very in here in perth i live in Fremantle, but very fortunate to live close to the beach and I think from those early seeds of environmental awareness and my grew up in a family that were very socially conscious, um, doing my mum was always doing stuff in the local community, um, set me up to following a path. Whereas I, my my studies were were in science, um, but I always liked that aspect of the interface between people and communities and the environment and that's a journey that I'm continuing to go on for this day and still learning every day. I love it. Um, That's a great story and you have a long history in this space um, beyond Plastic Free July. Looking up your bio, I mean you you have a number of uh, kind of roles that you fulfilled across the years, which is pretty rad. But um, what we want to talk about Plastic Free July. It's July. And um, I feel like some people still don't really know what it is, maybe. And maybe that's just me. Maybe it, maybe it's uh, that's the American perspective. I'm not sure. Maybe it's, you know, very clear in the, in Australia. But what is Plastic Free July? Like, let's just start there. What is the most tight definition of Plastic Free July? So... Plastic Free July is a personal challenge that's part of a global movement to reduce single-use plastics for a cleaner planet. That is a really nice, tight answer. That was a good, you've done this before. Um, I'm pretty much, I'm pretty much quoting from the website. So that, which which (laughs) took us, 
took us many weeks to get that tight. <laughs> <laughs> that's all the creative work that, that went into it. So it's all baked in there now. Okay. So that, so that's the, that's what it is now. It's been around 11 years, nine years. Well, like take us back to the founding of... story without giving us every trial and tribulation along the way. How, how did we get started and how long has it been? So this is our 10th plastic free July here in, in 2020. Congratulations. But it's, but it's not really a 10th anniversary because I only had the genius idea to go to try and avoid single-use plastics for a month, about a week before July. Um, so it was a really spontaneous decision. I never set out to start a global movement. It was really just about changing myself. And it started from visiting a recycling facility that's where when your um, curbside recycling gets picked up, that it's uh, called a materials recovery facility because actually all it does, as we now all know, it just sorted the different materials uh, into different types, paper, plastic, metal, glass, and the different types of plastics. Then they're bailed and then they're shipped either across the country or overseas um, to be reprocessed. And that was a really eye-opening moment for me, Reese. Um, I knew what landfills looked like. I used to have to always go to the tip with my dad. But going to a recycling facility just blew me away. I knew what my waste looked like when I put out my curbside bin each week. But I didn't know what mine looked like with my neighbours, with everyone else in my street, with everyone else in my community. And seeing the enormity of that volume together really blew me away and then understanding the particular challenges and to be honest I think I thought like if I could fill that recycling bin each fortnight I was doing the planet a favor and of course recycling is important but I knew at that moment that the best thing I could do would not to put out that bin or to put out a lot less and that night when I went to put out my recycling, I just looked at this, I think it was a yogurt um, container. I knew this material was last going to last forever. I could, I could picture in my mind where it was going to go and I thought, well, what other choices could I have made? What could I have done differently? And so I'm quite impulsive and the next morning I went to, to work and said to my two colleagues, Amy and Nabila, hey, I'm going plastic free next month who wants to join me? And so my colleagues from my office, I was working in local government in waste and sustainability education at the time, did a lot of education about recycling. Um, and this was our opportunity. We're just going to look at this reducing. And look, I'd heard about people doing challenges before. I'd watched No Impact Man. I'd um, even heard of people doing a plastics uh, challenge. But it, for me, it was just a deeply, deeply personal decision. Um, and about 40 of our volunteers uh, joined in and we just gave it a go. And the next month just happened to be July. I love it. I love it. Um, you touched on so many things there that really resonate from visiting a recycling center and seeing that we don't actually recycle. We really just sort and we don't really sort that efficiently. And we don't really recycle that efficiently. Um, I've been lucky to know uh, uh, to sail with the Five Gyres Institute and get to know Marcus and Anna with their research into plastic pollution. And they once took us to a um, a very high tech materials recover recovery facility in Brooklyn that has the whole optical sorters and the conveyor belts and super high tech. Whereas here in, uh, in Southern California, the local facility near our World Surf League office is in Santa Monica, and it's an all manual sort. And when you see all your waste just get dumped on conveyor belts and human beings literally picking out what they can, only the high value items and the rest just being, you know, crunched up to go off to landfill uh, and start to understand that process a little more fully, it is truly eye opening. I mean, it is a shocker. We actually um, I took a, a group of WSL employees to go see it and said, Hey, you're like, let's go. We're going to go see where everything goes. So you understand why it's important that we get our internal office recycling a little bit better and reduce our overall output. And, um, yeah, I feel like that, like if there's one field trip kids should take during school, maybe that should be the one, right? Like not to the beach, 
not anywhere else. It's like that's the one that should be mandatory curriculum. Yeah, look, I'm absolutely with you there. I think everyone should. I think you should, you know, as as ratepayers, unless we go to the recycling facility, you know, you get an extra hundred dollars on your rates. I don't know, but but you know, when I, when we did this design of that that website, I took the whole graphic design team there just so they could understand. And I think it is, I think you're right. Seeing people dealing with our waste, like it's not going away. It doesn't just disappear when we put it on our been at the curb it, it goes somewhere and for me it was really that now I know where it goes and I can't keep doing this yeah I've, I've pulled up your website here and for for those listening uh, and not watching uh, I encourage you to go to plasticfreejuly.org the website's beautiful um, you know I, I I've I had seen it a couple of years ago and it, it, it's clearly been updated it looks fantastic um, you have some great video here you talk about the challenge um, and what the challenge is. And it's got a whole lot here to help educate people. I think it's really fantastic. Is there anything in particular that you might want to call out to people to help them go on this journey? Like what's that key first step? Like for, for you, was it that there were 40 other people involved or was it just the commitment of one month and the time frame? I'm kind of curious, like what makes it so effective? Yeah, so the key first step is just signing up taking the challenge and that's not that you have to avoid all single-use plastics it's not that you have to do it for the whole month choose we always say like choose your plastic free July and it's about choice and it's choosing one or two things and and our motto is very much it's we're not about getting a handful of people or a hundred people to do this perfectly to um be zero waste to fit their year's worth of landfill waste in a jar great that some people can do that but what we're about is getting thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of people to do just a few small things and then take it take it from there so when when we when we first did it I've got to admit I it was a lot harder than I thought and by doing it personally, and you'll see from those images when you have a look about the webs at the website, we're really, really focused on solutions. We don't, of course, I'm very, at a personal level, very deeply motivated by the ocean plastic pollution problem, but we don't focus on that in Plastic Free July. We just focus on solutions. And what we found at first, this all happened in absolutely intuitively, like the it is a grassroots campaign. We've achieved that 250 million people with, with zero advertising budget. Like this is word of mouth. This is people on the street, in their home, as they're shopping, making the changes that they can make. And what doing it together is really important for a number of reasons. One is you get ideas from other people and you learn their stories and you find out, oh, this, this was a challenge this person faced. Like I've you know, we often, I can bet you, you know, every year on the 1st of July, we get people writing saying, oh, Rebecca, I failed plastic free July because I've just ordered a drink and I got a plastic straw. Or I, got, <laughs> I got two straws and I've failed. And we always say, oh, there's no such thing as failing. And I just point out the first thing is about realizing that there's all this plastic that we're using. And right. a week ago, you know, probably wouldn't have even noticed you got a drink with a straw and now you did and maybe the first time you asked you did fail but someone else will then say well I had a conversation when I ordered that drink and said look I'm doing plastic free July it's really important to me that I don't get a plastic straw um, and then you get other people saying well they didn't tell their friends but they went out for a drink uh, they said no plastic straw and then the other people around the table said oh actually we don't need one either and it you start to change other people's behavior simply by acting and you know they always say that saying actions speak louder than words I think that's so important and so Plastic Fridge like not only gives you ideas and tools and resources but doing it with other people and part of what is now a global movement I think is is absolutely important and then you don't feel alone um 
you don't feel awkward because <laughs> it's like, well, I can't take this because I'm doing Plastic Free July. <laughs> so it's kind of a, an excuse as well. Yeah. It's funny, you touch on the kind of like the rate of failure and allowing for a little bit of that. Like, it's okay if you get a straw and then you just go, okay, well, let me just avoid the next one, you know? Um, it's so funny how often people, you know, just w with habit and, oh no, I, I, I failed on my commitment and thus it's all for naught. It's like, no, 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 just, you know, skip the next one and the next infinity after that, you know? And I, I think it's really challenging, especially, um, you know, it, we kind of were talking about this before, but trying to pick and choose your battles, you know, there are certain areas that, you know, I think of friends who are young parents and they're, you know, worried about some of the products that they end up consuming or they purchase on behalf of their, their children. And there's just a reality to, to our existence that you're going to run into some plastic, but to the extent that you can avoid a lot of the single use stuff and do your best, I try to tell people, you know, like do as much as you can, you know, and realize that it's okay once in a while, especially now, I think with COVID it's really brought all this, you know, <laughs> with COVID-19, we're kind of adjusting to this new reality of like, well, okay. Medical equipment is one area where single use probably makes sense, but you know, coffee cups probably don't make sense. And what, what is that line? Cause we've now seen there is that paper put out about um, single use items are actually safe in a COVID world as long as they're getting washed. So it's, it's this really interesting line of like determining where you're making your most environmental impact and trying to focus on those areas. I don't know. Do you, do you share that sentiment at all? Or do you find that there are certain things that it's like optimized for those first big items and then try to, you know, over time you'll work on that final 20%, right? But how do you, how do you fix the first 80%? You know, I don't know the perfection idea. I feel like just run like people think of plastic free July. They go, I can't possibly go entirely plastic free, you know? Yeah. That wasn't a question. It was just a ramble, <laughs> but I figure there's something to react to in that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's why, you know, the, the message that we have is choose to refuse because plastic free July can sound really daunting because you think it's everything and I got to do it for a month. And that's why when people sign up, we give them the option. You can do it for a day or a week. I think that the first, I don't know if it was 80% Reese, but the first, I reckon we probably in our house, reduced our plastics by about 70%. I've wow. got to say now my kids are uh, older teenagers and young adults. It's a bit harder because they're bringing more plastic into the, into the home than, than I used to. It was much easier when they were younger. Um, <laughs> but it was like the first stuff I got rid of was much easier than the stuff the stuff now. It was, a, it was a, you know, I thought I was pretty good because I, you know, always took my reusable shopping bag, um, carried my water bottle with me. Um, but then it, what it does, it just makes you so aware and you will always be aware after doing this challenge of just the plastic around you. But it was, you know, I hadn't thought about those plastic produce bags that I was, or the packaging on my fruit and vegetables. Um, so that, you know, that was the ne one of the next big things for me. But then I also, I still did, you know, I needed to get one plastic bag a week because I had to line my rubbish bin with a plastic bag. So it was learning to um, compost my food scraps and then I could just line my bin with the local newspaper each week. So I didn't even need those plastic bags. It was, you know, and, and one of the first things I I did and many people will do was I just switched from plastic to paper and metal and glass so I just bought everything in tins or cardboard boxes and then you realize there was the bag in there and um but then or I just use those paper mushroom bags but then I realized I don't want to switch one problem for another problem and everything takes right. resources so it was just a matter of starting to tackle you know one thing at a time and the first thing was right well I'm you know, wanting to make, I'm wanting to avoid this um, buying hummus in a plastic, in a plastic tub. So I'm going to make it myself. Well, then I bought the chickpeas in a tin, but then it's like, well, you know, then I learned the tins lined in plastic and a tin's still a tin. And so then I bought it in a big plastic bag of chickpeas and soaked it and realized I could save 10 tins. And that felt like a better thing to do. And then I found I could make it from a bulk food store. Then I could found I could 
make double and then freeze a batch for another time um, or just freeze it in some some glass jars. So it kind yeah. of – you start with one thing and you just – you go on a journey. And I think if you try and do everything at once, it's easier to feel overwhelmed or overcommitted and it's easier to fail. Whereas if you just think, well, I'm just going to do this this year um, and then next year I'm going to try this or we're just going to try this for Plastic Free July – and then I realized that, you know, spending an hour and a half making my own pasta on a weeknight is probably not sustainable. So I'm going to buy it in a cardboard box and maybe I'll do it when I have a dinner party on the weekend. So it's about, you know, what what's realistic here right. and putting in, learning more habits and new skills and new options in my local community over time. So it's a it's a journey, and I'm I'm definitely still on the journey myself. You, I mean, you land. Journey is the word that I I use a lot when talking about this. Is it's like you start with one thing, and it, it kind of opens your mind up. And I'm going to give a lot of credit to my wife Annie here. Um, she is hardcore on the journey. I, I mean, we both are, but she went next level one year. And I'm going to share. This is going to be a little bit embarrassing, but I'm literally going to allow us to root through our garbage here. Um, we actually collected our waste uh, over the course of about a month. Um, and this is a video from that. Uh, I think, I think it was a little over a month. We don't, um, eat any meat. And so, uh, or at least very, very little, at least, and almost none at home. So our, our packaging in here is really just kind of the stuff that we buy. So it's tempeh packages, some cheese, some chips, and this kind of was eye opening for us. Cause it really just was like, oh, okay. We see, you can start to see it and then identify, well, what do we need to reduce? You know, there's some receipts, there's some ties on some veggies. This is from the waste bin in the bathroom. So really what this informed us was chips were the one, they were the big killer. Um, previously it had been yogurt, but then we had stopped doing that once my wife started making yogurt. And then it was chips. We were like, man, we got to kick our chip habit because they just come in those, those bags. And so we switched over to popcorn. That was our crunchy, salty end of work day. You know, you can buy the kernels in bulk and then make popcorn. And so that was like our little solve that we loved. Um, so it was a really, I don't know. She just did it one day. She just decided like, we're going to keep all of our trash for the next month. And then we did it and it was pretty eye opening, and it helped us identify, all right, where is most of the waste coming from? And then you have to weigh that against what other choices you're making environmentally, right? Like tempeh for us is a protein source because we're not eating a lot of meat. And so we, we, you know, justify purchasing that once in a while. We haven't yet found a bulk source for that. So I don't know, do you ever encourage waste audits as kind of a, 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 for, a next level? Is that like the master level or um, some next level of certification? And once you've gone beyond the straw, the bag, the bottle, um, curious. Yeah, I do. Um, I love a good bin audit myself. Um, also, <laughs> I, I thought you'd also, be like 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 minded company here. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, I, I also encourage we encourage like organisations and businesses to, and schools to do it as well. Um, and also, if you're starting the challenge, I don't think you need to go necessarily you know, full tarp and high-vis um, PPE to do it, but just open your bin, have a look in there or, you know, out your, um, your bin that goes on the curb or the bins inside or just look in, do the audit on your pantry, do the audit when you get bring the shopping home, do the audit on your fridge, see what the plastics in your life are because we're all, you know, we're all um, – using and consuming different plastics so i always recommend people start with looking at the plastic and the at the waste in their life and and tackling tackling the one or two things that they want to get started with and some of them are definitely more problematic than others it can be quite confronting but in this um I mentioned that when I started Plastic Free July, I was doing um, working in local government in waste and sustainability education, and that's literally what we did on the first night of the course. We got an anonymous household's bins, um, laid out a tarpaulin, tipped it into the middle, and then we made signs around the edges of recycling, reuse, composting, um, um, 
you know, special disposal and or, or going to the second-hand shop. Uh-huh. And it's actually incredible. And then you had landfill. At the moment, it was all destined for landfill. But when you actually went through somebody's bin, you realised how many different choices you could have fairly easily made in terms of disposal but also products that could have been reused. So there's, it's a great source of ideas and inspiration can yeah. be confronting though <laughs> looking at your own garbage um one of the other things I, I picked up on i think maybe you're on another podcast you mentioned working with a behavioral economist at some point is that correct have you as an organization worked with a behavioral economist and and talk about that work yeah so that has been the if, you, almost... if you don't mind sharing i don't know if that's like your yeah, secret yeah. sauce i'm kind of curious uh, so. The behavioral economist is definitely my secret source. Um, <laughs> so I think, look, in the early days, because we weren't, we never set out to start a campaign. It was never about educating others. It was how do we change ourselves? And it's hard. And it was really about, it was really a, a journey um, of let's, let's make this easier, compile all the resources for ourselves and our community. But so we got things right intuitively. As um, so, back in two thousand and sixteen, I did a Churchill Fellowship and spent um, two months traveling around the world, talking to uh, organisations and people working on the plastics issue, doing the research and developing solutions. And I knew, that I realised then just how big Plastic Free July was. I knew we had incredible reach I knew we had in participation but at the end of the from talking to organizations around the world you know um, sure many of the um, colleagues we'd have in common Reese but what I didn't know at the end of the day is was it making a difference and for me I think that goes back to my that, that values thing um, that I spoke about earlier like if at the end of the day we had you know, this thing going viral on social media, hashtag Plastic Free July trending each year. At the end of the day, if that didn't make a difference to what happened to people's bin, in people's bins and their waste, like it, it for me, it, 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 it had no purpose. And so I'd heard of the work of a behavioural economist before I'd been to a, a presentation. His name's Colin Ashton Graham. And... I really wanted to understand more about the, the the impact, but I also got this sense of, you know, everywhere I travelled in the world, everyone was like like me, like we we're all on the same page in this plastic pollution activism space. What I wanted to do with Plastic Free July is I wanted to make sure we spoke to a mainstream audience that we were speaking to the general public that we were getting those those you know eight out of ten people who say they're concerned about plastic waste ending up in landfill and in the environment but still using single-use plastics like I wanted to speak to that mainstream audience so um so we, we started working with Colin back in 2017 and it was I, look, I absolutely recommend everyone who is working in this space around trying to change people's behaviour is to do it in a in informed and a measured way. And so we, we we started this process, which we very much continue today, and we can learn a lot from psychology and from behavioural science. And we learnt so we started out by doing a research piece we did surveys of of people who are participating in the campaign so you'll see on that home page and I'd love you to share the link Reese we call it the plasty pesky plastics quiz so we asked okay. people a number of questions about their consumer choices and their behaviors and their attitudes and and what it, what this survey does is it kind of also nudges people's behavior because everyone is you know the majority of people are aligned on this issue but it leads you through a journey of looking at all the plastics in your life and realizing oh yeah I am good at that those top four bags and water bottles and straws and coffee cups but I could do this this and this and so what that survey and that research piece gave us 
was an idea of look where are people really at what are the behaviors that they're already doing and what you look for from a, a behavior change perspective is getting um is social norming and getting um changes in behavior that are already done by a, a, a number a, a, a portion of the population and then you've got another portion of people that are willing to make a try because what we find so in terms of the um of of site of the reporting people are notoriously bad at self-reporting on their own behaviors so we so we look for behaviors that there's a portion of people already doing and people are willing to give it a go and look for those we learn about giving people choice so you don't just say go plastic free it's like here's 10 things that people like you are doing to reduce their plastic waste we use language we don't use language like do this do that you do this it's choose this it, um it's many people are in your community are doing this it's join millions of people worldwide and when you give people a list of 10 things to do um maybe one or two they're already doing and then oh i could do this and then i could maybe move on to that that choice is really important and what I also one of the big things for me that I learned because well I learned I lived in an eco bubble because everyone I know is like me, um, and when we were designing materials like posters and stuff like we would have to go. Uh, Colin said we had to test it, and I'm like, you Colin, we test everything. He's like, not your colleagues, not your friends at the farmers market. You have to go out into the suburbs, go to the malls, go to the shopping centres, go into the streets, and you give people what you've designed, and you ask them, what is this saying to you? What does it mean to you? What is it telling you to do? Is it for people like you? Would you recommend this to your friends? And I realised we were just not on message at at all. We were, um, and there's particular, and that's why that that stop and say no message and that don't message it appeals to the eco activists whereas that choose to refuse message appealed to much more of a mainstream audience so it was it was such a journey and and um my state of western australia a couple of years ago we introduced the plastic lightweight plastic bag ban and colin and i worked on that and i interview um him in the book about that and Again, the messaging there wasn't, um, it wasn't about the turtles and it wasn't about banning plastic bags. The message was, um, you can, you can take a reusable bag. You can be a juggler if you've got one or two items and just carry. You can take a box. Um, or I think the juggler was like, you can shop naked. You know, it was giving, <laughs> giving people choice. It was those right. prompts of when you empty your shopping bags, put them in your boot of your car or with your keys or by the front door. It was about solutions. And he's, he has this great line in the book where he, um, he says, um, if you, if you if you just talk about the turtles and, and environmental doom, all you end all you end up with is no no shopping bag and you feel miserable. Whereas if you talk about all of these great solutions, then people think, oh yeah, this is for me. I can do this. There's there's so much there was so much in there what you just shared. I mean, the intentionality of your language and the choices of the words that you use and how important that is. I mean, a lot of the people who listen to the show are people who are a part of this that they would be in your eco bubble, but I think it's it's a really good message for for everyone to hear as we think about the various campaigns that we're working on whether it's on plastic or another issue just that intentionality of language, getting outside of your eco bubble and speaking to the others who need to hear it. You know, I, I come from a background in startups building, you know, digital products. And, you know, we always used to talk about that user experience and how do you make sure you're not just designing to fill your own niche and you have all sorts of curse of knowledge of the insiderness of your world. You got to get outside of that and get to the person if you're going to convince anyone else and make any change. So there's so much, there's so many great lessons. It sounds like you just shared. Um, I am really curious what, what, what is, 
if you could have, if you could pick one, what is one of the greatest lessons you've learned in your experience? Is it one of those, or is there another lesson maybe in your now 10 years doing this? Um, cause you have all this experience. I'm curious, like what's that one lesson for someone out there who's thinking about starting a new campaign locally or thinking about ways that they can, um, you know, be a bigger part of this journey. Oh, that's a tricky <laughs> one. I told you I wouldn't oh. give you any tough ones, but you know, I guess oh. that one. Oh, look, I mean, my first reaction would be to say don't – is to say don't judge other people and don't presume because people aren't doing the same things as you that they don't – it doesn't mean that they don't care. You know, going back to those surveys, 80% of people say that they're concerned about this issue of plastic pollution so just because somebody's using a bag or a straw or getting stuff in plastic, it doesn't mean that. And I think, I, I do think that's probably my strongest message for people who are in this space, who are the activists, who are the campaigners on, on the overwhelming number of um, issues facing our environment. There's, you know, we are in this time where, the, the legacies the legacies of our um, the throwaway society we have become the legacies of injustice um, there's so many issues going on in the world right now right. that um, that that it, yeah I think it's that don't don't presume that, that and and don't judge and don't think that people care and it's about the and and think that this this the corollary of of that is that that actions speak louder than words and give people something they can do. You know, it, not everyone is going to turn up at a protest or write a letter or um, lobby their local politicians or call out businesses um, for their products. Like those are all really important things, but the you know, probably eighty percent of people aren't going to do that. So, what can what can they do? What can you know? How can their actions and those own individual changes add up to make a response that's going to change these fundamental problems that are in our systems? And that goes beyond environment. That goes to all of these other difficult challenges and injustices that our world is facing now. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's too important not to act. Totally, I think that's it's a it's a great um, it's a great answer, and I think some of what I take away from that is you know there's there's the individual versus the larger systemic issues too, and sometimes there's this fight within the environmental movement. We've talked about this a lot on the show, like how much is the, is the individual consumer responsible for versus the bigger systemic industry and all that. But the truth is we need action on both, right? We need them both. What plastic free July does by engaging people who maybe weren't doing anything environmentally and bringing them into that sort of world. Now it opens our eyes Yes, it'll make some impact in their personal life, and that will be a large impact if they really go down the journey. But if they also then are able to vote in the right way, you know, if they're also able to engage and then maybe eventually they do write the letter, they do show up at their local city council meeting or their shire, you know, meeting and, and, and are able to speak up in a bigger way. And so we have to think about it like that is everything we're facing. We need everybody. So we need, you know, the campaigns that speak very intentionally to that individual person and individual action like what you're doing but knowing that it's also a bigger thing which you've proven through behavioral economics which is really awesome um so i would say yeah we need both um you uh on on the subject of having uh lessons learned are publishing a book uh, which I didn't even know when we asked you to be on this podcast, uh, which is very fortuitous. It comes out next month, right? Or this month, I guess, by the time this airs. Uh, yeah. So um, my book, which I just have here in oh, my there you go. Hot, little, <laughs> hot little hands. Um, and it's Plastic Free, uh, the Inspiring Story of a Global Environmental Movement and Why It Matters, right? 
Yes, it is a bit of a, um, a mouthful, that title. So it's published <laughs> here in Australia and New Zealand um, in July and will be published uh, in the US and the rest of the world uh, by Columbia University Press in December. And it is the – there's a lot of behavioural econo- economics in there. You'll be pleased to know it's really the story of the journey that I've been on, but most importantly, it's the story of the people who have participated. Um, and I, I 100% agree with you, Reese. Like, it's not we need behavior change or systems change, like, we absolutely need both. But I think what I've learned over the last 10 years is they're much more closely aligned than I ever would have um that I ever would have expected so I think that what that what the behavior change right changing our individual behaviors does not only taking us on that journey but it also when you're getting a lot of people to do it and you're making those broad scale changes of five percent that's when business and governments are really listening. And I think that it's been that rise in incredible citizen action around the world by so many people and so many organisations and not-for-profits and groups of people around the world that have made these changes. Um, That's how we've started to get plastic bag bans or the bans on microbeads or container deposit schemes or big business switching from plastic to paper straws um, that comes from those individual changes and some of the stories I explore in the book are unpacking those changes so I'll give you an example last year Air New Zealand announced for Plastic Free July they were doubling down on their plastic reduction efforts and removing 55 million pieces from their operations that year and when I interviewed the head of sustainability at Air New Zealand and said well how did this come about how did you hear of plastic free july when you unpacked it and you looked back um there there was an employee that took the challenge and she made changes in her own life and then the next year she took it into the workplace and they did a a a staff engagement challenge around the world on yammer it was the most successful um, staff campaign ever they made lots of changes and at the same time the most frequent letter of complaint that they were getting from their customers, many of them who were doing Plastic Free July, was around their use of single-use plastics. And then as an organisation, they took on a review and an audit um, across their operations and supply chains of the plastics. That's amazing. And there's so many stories like that. Governor Cuomo in New York proclaimed July as Plastic Free Month and encouraged all the citizens of residents of New York to take on Plastic Free July. And again, there was one of the assembly women, Michelle Salages, who um, learned about the plastic pollution problem, Googled it, took the challenge five or six years ago and has slowly been introducing it um, in, into the assembly there. So I think that unless we change ourselves, we can't expect to change the system. And I do think that um, it's a necessary part of it. Obviously, we've got a long way to go on this issue, but those stories do really hearten me. Yeah. I mean, those are, that's really powerful. Both of those. I didn't know about them. Well, I'm going to have to get my hands on the book and um, give it a good read. And um, we'll of course link to it in the show notes here. Um, all right. I want to move on to some questions from fans. Uh, we've got a couple, couple listeners who sent in a few questions here. So, um, so let's quickly wrap up with uh, one or two questions. Um, one, how do you engage governments in the tropical majority countries for waste management? What's your quick answer? This one's from our friend Beyond the Surface International. Um, she works in a lot of developing countries. So one of the best things I think to do is talk to your local representative, get them to take the challenge. Um, I think, again, when they do it personally, um, then that's where you really get to, to, um, to, um, make that change. So challenge them to do it. Do it yourself as a community. Challenge your government to, to do it. Um, and also look at what, um, everyone, 
Everyone's always comparing themselves, this is particularly, I think, with governments and corporate sectors. Share stories with them. Well, this government's doing this, and we'd like you to take on this. I like that. There's another one around uh, from Wondersurf. Has anyone ever tried to hold a city or a county liable for cleaning up the beaches? Which I believe they are, kind of, but has anyone ever actually tried to hold them liable? Do you know of? Has anyone ever... I'm not aware of that. That's a really good question. Um, I know obviously jurisdictions like in, you know, California, you have that zero trash to waterways policy. So I think there will be increasingly accountability. Um, I think there needs to be accountability also from business on that and not just at the municipality level as well. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, another quick one. Well, this one may not be too quick. This is from Taryn Vanderhoop, but she wanted to talk about ways that people can move forward and be more plastic free, um, but being mindful of wider environmental sort of justices and, and privileges. So she talks about, um, you know, giving up berries that come in plastic in many of the grocery stores, but then to do so, it means driving further to a farmer's market to then, you know, go do that. And that's a form of privilege. And then there's CO2 burned. And so there's a whole sort of life cycle analysis uh, question embedded here, but I don't know. I'm curious w- what you think about balancing these things. Do you have any advice for people who are trying to balance and weigh these decisions of, you know, when do I go that extra mile and when do I maybe not? And h- how do we figure that out? Yeah, look, great question and something we think about all the time. And I know at a personal level, it's um, really reduced the variety of what I eat and the <laughs> places that I, I shop. Um, yeah. So look, you know, that's a common thing when people first start out. They tend to drive, um, drive a long way and just try and live exactly the same without the plastic packaging. And that's very difficult. And there's actually a story in the book of two women who realized they'd taken that to such an extreme that the following year they started their own bulk food store um, because they realized they needed, there was nothing in their local community to support people. I love it. Um, But I think for me, you know, one of the most important things about this, everything has a footprint and we're always making trade-offs. But I think from that whole, you know, the carbon footprint and and looking deeply at the climate emergency, my, my diet is certainly much more local. So when you um, are eating local fresh produce what's in season supporting local businesses and local farmers who need us more than than ever that certainly kind of goes a long a long way and i try now and eat as as uh, not only as plastic free as possible but as local as possible and in some instances that will mean choosing plastic you know if i'm uh, if I were to buy bananas grown in my state, um, right. they, they would come in plastic, whereas the bananas from overseas or the other side of the country, they're a variety that's thicker skinned. Um, they come unpackaged, but there's a lot of food miles there. So yeah. we're always making we're always making trade-offs. Totally. One final question. Okay, this is the, the final final. I know you have to go in a minute. Um, I don't do you surf? I actually didn't I don't even know that. Do you surf or do you not? That's I'm not the probably question. one of the one of the few people working on these issues that don't surf. <laughs> That's okay. I assume you like the outdoors, and I assume you have a favorite place. Um, and so, uh, if you could take one person in the world with you to go do your favorite activity in your favorite outdoor spot, who would it be? Where would you go? And what would you talk about? This is your any person in the world you get to bring with you to to have this moment with you. Okay. I don't surf. I love to see kayak. Um, and I don't do it enough off my local beach. Uh, I was going to say Jack Johnson is our ambassador, but in this moment, I'm going to say Maya, my niece. Um, she's just moved to Canada. She's 11. Um, got a beautiful quote her, from her in the book. Um, she's, she's someone that really loves the environment and being outdoors and, in this time of lockdown, I don't know when I'm going to see her again. So I just want to go and go for a paddle with her and talk to her and find out what this incredible moment in in our time means for a 12-year-old. So I love that. I'm going That's with really Maya. Sweet. 
I like it. Maya. All right, cool. Um, Rebecca, thank you so much. Thanks for the work that you do. Thanks for taking time to chat with us. I know you have a busy month ahead. It's July, uh, plastic free July. So I'm very excited for you and for the work that you do. And, um, yeah, thanks for, thanks for being here. Thanks very much, Reese. I really enjoyed your thoughtful questions as well. And, and you keep up the great work as well. Cheers. All right. Take thank care. You. Thanks to Rebecca for joining and for sharing all that incredible knowledge. Um, and now it's on you. You got to go to plasticfreejuly.org. Again, that's plasticfreejuly.org and take the pledge. It's okay. You don't have to go cold turkey. Um, just take the first steps. You know, if you know there's some place in your life that you can improve, what's that one thing that you can take out of your, your waste stream? And if you're already skipping a lot of the single use stuff, you've got your hydro flask, you're skipping straws. What's that next level? Where can you improve? Is it time to do a waste audit and, and go through your trash? Send us photos. No, don't send us photos. Don't send us photos of your trash, but do maybe take a look at it and see if there's somewhere else you can improve. Uh, be sure to also check out Rebecca's upcoming book. Uh, it's available for order, I think, in Australia, New Zealand, and it will be in the U.S. We'll link to it in the show notes. And stick around at the end for a recording from our friend Taylor on how he's going plastic-free in his day-to-day. Remember, if you want to participate, shoot us an email with your voice memo at oneocean at wslpure.org, and we'll uh, maybe feature you in a future episode. As always, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for the reviews lately from a few of you. We really appreciate it. Um, They really help the podcast grow. If you haven't done so, throw us a review. Appreciate it. And uh, that's it. You can find us in all the usual places online. And uh, now, here's Taylor. See you next week. Hey there. This is Taylor Lane, creator of The Cigarette Surfboard, calling from Venice Beach, California. And especially during these wild times with so much single-use plastic being used as a result of COVID, I always try and make an effort, if I'm ever going to order anything out, to not include single-use plastic utensils or if there's an alternative for things to be packaged uh, in, you know, paper, etc. But beyond that, uh, I always carry a little bag in my car wherever I'm walking. I might just snag a couple pieces of plastic that I know are inevitably going to end up in the ocean and definitely after I surf I always try and grab a couple pieces of plastic as well and beyond that just take notice of what plastic items in my life I can get rid of and don't need and always try and push friends and other family members to take on alternatives even though this is a pretty wild time we're in but all those actions do add up so keep up the good work.